So I saw this, uh, the other day I saw this New Year's prayer uh, that I thought was pretty good. So we'll begin with that. Dear Lord, my prayer for 2022 is for a thin body and a fat bank account. And please don't, Lord, please don't mix them up like you did last year. All right, resolution for me is no more lame jokes for 2022. Uh, back in, uh, I think, October, I uh, was talking to a friend of mine who uh, had just recently been at a wedding, and he was telling to me, me about this experience of his at this wedding. It was his niece who got married. Um, he said it was the worst it was the worst wedding he'd ever been to. Um, it was upstate um, at a vineyard. I think it was in the, somewhere in the Finger Lakes region. His niece is Catholic, raised Catholic. He said her, his brother, their family, they, uh, they practiced their faith growing up. But the ceremony was uh, performed, it wasn't in a church, and it was officiated by the groom's brother. He wasn't, a, who's not a priest or a, or a minister of any kind. Um, he got certified online to uh, officiate, to perform the ceremony. Something you just kinda register for and pay for and boom you're able to you're able to do this and he just said it was a disgrace um it was just irreverent and just ignorant um he said it was the most unserious thing he'd ever witnessed something which objectively is serious and should be solemn. Like this just wasn't at all. Um, he said it was totally, totally godless. Just no reference to God at all, even in a kind of a subtle peripheral way. No talk of promise, fidelity, sacrifice, like No God. He said it was in a beautiful spot. This, uh, it was the fall colors were kind of at their peak. The setting was beautiful, but the experience was really kind of pathetic. If you take marriage seriously, I felt so bad for him. He said, he said he felt so bad for his brother and sister-in-law. He was embarrassed for them. His mother, which would have been the, the, uh, the grandmother of the bride, he said she just looked so kind of confused by it and saddened by what was going on. I mean, that's what secularism looks like. He told me that, uh, I, I don't know, two or three weeks after the wedding, he had a conversation 
with my friend who's the uncle with his brother. So the, the father of the bride and the uncle of the bride had this conversation about the experience. And he was very sort of, the father was very sort of just discouraged by it. And he talked about regrets. I think the whole experience got him thinking about the job that they had done as parents. And he said he regretted the fact that he didn't, he thinks he just didn't, he didn't talk to his kids enough about faith growing up. I mean, they practiced it, but he said they never really talked about it. And it's kind of a difference. He said she spent four years at a very secular university, which is pretty much every university with few exceptions, incredibly secular. And she was very influenced by that community for four years, that experience. Her perspective, her values changed. It's like when you have the culture and the media and your school talking to you nonstop, and it's never God talk, it has its effects. He said she was a great, um, she's a great athlete, and her four years of playing volleyball in high school, you know, he admitted that kind of took a bit of a, took priority. Um, there were times when she missed, they missed mass because of volleyball. It wasn't always, but it started to happen at points. And she wasn't going to mass in college, and he knew it, but they never challenged her on it. So it was kind of like this subtle splintering, weakening of faith over like really critical influential years high school certainly college a couple of years throw a few more years post college I mean I see it all the time when I do weddings more and more sadly these days I mean I'm almost I'm 20 whatever I am 28 years ordained I mean, I've seen a change in almost 30 years. So much so that I, I discourage wedding masses. I don't really want to have them. You know, there's always the exception. You get the, the, the faithful couple, the church couple, and of course you do it, because it matters to them. But it doesn't to most. So what happens is you get like a circus in the church. Like people who act like they have never been in a church. And just sort of the level of, of ignorance and kind of irreverence is kind of, it's like, it's like the sacrament becomes hijacked. So I just try to say, listen, we'll have, a, we'll, have a, we'll have a very beautiful, simple ceremony. I don't want to discourage them from getting married in the church, but it's not good. That's what secularism looks like. And it didn't happen overnight. 
it could never happen overnight. It takes, I don't know, it's like a, almost a generational thing, isn't it? It probably takes 20 or 30 years of a culture going a certain way. And eventually it just, it impacts the culture, those who live in that culture. Yesterday, uh, I was at a wedding. Yesterday afternoon over in uh, Westbury, St. Bridget's. I know the groom. I know the bride, but I know the groom better. His name is Sean. I met him when he was a student at Hofstra. I actually, but I met him here. It was right in the, in the weeks after Sandy, uh, that January, uh, a bunch of kids from Hofstra who were connected to the, the Catholic club on campus. They, gave, they did a, like, kind of like a mission week, or week and a half, I think it was. They were planning on going somewhere in the Central America, I think. It's about 25 kids. And they decided, with Sandy being in our backyard, it was like, let's just let's serve, let's serve locally. So they did, and they came down here. It was an amazing week and a half. The girls all went down to a miraculous medal, and they, they crashed there for the for the week and a half, the guys were at St. Mary's, and they went out every day, and they just went to people's homes, helped clean out and clear out ruined basements. They did a lot of work at the rectory at St. Mary's. Anyway, this guy, Sean, was a part of that and very much became a leader in the Catholic scene at Hofstra. It's not a big scene. It's a very secular place. But there's this little sub-community of faithful kids. He became president of the, the Newman Club, the Catholic Club. He started a Catholic fraternity. He met Julia, the girl he married there at Hofstra. Same Catholic scene. He's now on parish council here. He lives down here. He's on, the, on parish council here at St. Ignatius. Their wedding was so beautiful. It was so not the Finger Lakes wedding. It was like the opposite. At least the description of that one and my experience of this one, like, couldn't have been more different. There was just so much faith in that church. I was looking at the guests, many of whom were friends of the bride and the groom, people in their mid-twenties, and their faith. Clearly, they were faithful people. But they, most of them met in the context of faith. Some faith community, one way or another. There were four priests on the altar. I remember thinking midway through the Mass, like, how does this happen? How do you have the Finger Lakes experience? And then you have St. Bridget's. How did St. Bridget's happen? How did Sean and Julia achieve that? I think so much of it has to do with community, like the power of community, the company we keep. It influences who we are, doesn't it? In so many ways, especially when you're young. We're not even sure yet who we are. We're in the process of becoming. 
Man, and if I'm in the right company, if I'm in the company of quality people, faithful people, principled people, it's going to rub off. And it's going to remain if it was already there. It was crazy. It was just sort of like the, the, the interconnections at this wedding. The priest who performed the ceremony, Father Greg, I was his high school chaplain at St. Anthony's. The other priest on the altar, Father Sean, I was his chaplain at Hofstra when he was a student. The wedding party, the two little girls from the wedding party, uh, flower girls came down the aisle. They were the, the children of, of parishioners down here who became friends with Sean and Julia down here. Like it's all about community. It's all about people saying, hey, we can't do this thing solo. Thinking well, I can maintain a strong faith life like, like a, as a monk, good luck. The community is critical. And I think often becomes the difference. I'm thinking the last couple of times we've been in church, the last couple, since Christmas, we hear these little descriptions of communities. You got, well, at Christmas, it's before the birth, it's just Mary and Joseph. Then, then you get, well, last week it was Holy Family. It's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The community's gotten a little bit bigger. Today we're hearing from uh, the shepherds, another community. Tomorrow's the Epiphany. That'll be the, the wise men, another community. Man, community matters. It's what keeps us together. I think it's what keeps us in this. I remember uh, being on retreat, this was years ago, 25 years ago maybe, and I, uh, it was a great retreat. It was given by this priest, pretty famous Franciscan priest. His name is Benedict Grishel. He uh, was a great writer and he was a psychologist, a great speaker. He ended up forming a religious community, a Franciscan community. He died a few years ago. We went out for a walk one night, and he was talking about the church and the, the challenges in the church in a, in a secular time. And he talked about the church, he spoke of the church in, this, in the image of the church being a boat, which is common. It's like a ship, it's a boat. And he says it's big, and it's taken on water. So much so, he said, that it's going to sink. I was kind of stunned. I was like a three-year-old priest thinking, what are you saying? The church is going to sink? He was like, no. He said, a lot of it's going to sink. The boat's going to go down. But he said, um, there'll be lifeboats on the boat. And the lifeboats will make it. The lifeboats, the lifeboats will be the ones who survive. And he described who was in the lifeboats. Communities of faith. Religious orders that are actually growing. Communities of, of religious sisters that are on the increase. There'll be a lifeboat. Catholic families that, have, 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 that are more connected to their church than their parents were. There'll be life, a lifeboat. Youth ministries that are, that are growing and that are inspired. Campus ministries like the, the Hofstra experience. The boat will go down, but the lifeboats will survive. 
these little communities. And then one day, probably long after we're gone, it'll become a bigger boat again. Thinking that Sean and Julia are probably pretty much the same age as that the Finger Lakes couple that got married. Sean and Julia are like, they are like a lifeboat. And that couple, whoever they are, God, they need a lifeboat. And then maybe there's a, there's a resolution for us today on the start of a new year. Yeah, thin waist and uh, fat wallet, you know, haha, that's cute. We all try and do that, but that's, that's secondary. Maybe a legitimate resolution for us should be like, I gotta, I gotta find a lifeboat this year. I gotta actively, proactively, aggressively pursue faith community. More than I already do, more than we already do. Maybe here's a resolution. This year, on an ongoing basis, think of somebody you know, who you care about, who you love maybe, who's flailing, they're floundering, they're barely treading water, like they're, the water's up to their chin. They're barely afloat. Throw them a line. Invite them into a lifeboat. Be their lifeboat.